TGIM, Team RE. This is episode 320. All I have to say is just, you know, keep an open mind and really just see what happens, you know, start reaching out to people, making friends. And before you know it, you're going to have a bunch of lifelong friendships with amazing people and you're going to find your way. You just have to have an open mind and just see what happens and just let go. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's show, we've got Cassie. Cassie took her last drink on August 29th, 2019. She is from Colorado and she is 30 years old. And before I get started, I wanted to remind you all that our online RE merch store is looking pretty amazing these days. I haven't taken off my hoodie since I got it. Well, I have, but you know what I mean. I've just been wearing it a lot. (laughs) It's super comfy and I love the fit. So if you want to check out some of our merchandise, head on over to recoveryelevator.com forward slash merch and use the discount code PANDA to get 10% off your next purchase. Also, shout out to Stephanie for all of the hard work she's done for our RE merch department. We could not do it without you, Stephanie. So thank you so much. All righty. And let's work on finding your better you this week. In the last few months, I've interviewed many people that got sober and have stayed sober during the pandemic. A lot of sobriety dates with the year 2020 on them. And let me just say, I think this is awesome. How amazing all of you are that are attempting sober days while continuing to live through this COVID-19 global crisis. The world has been such an uncertain place in the last year, and people are still choosing to enter the arena and attempt to ditch the booze. That's really powerful, team. I hope you know that, know that you are a part of this and that you are proving to yourself that you can do hard things. I was having lunch with my husband the other day, and we were talking about commuting to work and how much we didn't miss it. Although I do miss being around other people and having a physical team to interact with daily, I don't miss feeling rushed in the mornings, fearing that I would be late to work the way that I used to all the time. So the conversation evolved and we got to talking about post-COVID sobriety and how some people that have gotten sober during this pandemic will have to readjust a bit once everything is back up and running again. And although we don't know when exactly this will happen and what normal will even mean in the future, I do know that collectively, as a society, we're looking forward to normalizing seeing each other again, seeing our friends, seeing our family that perhaps doesn't live nearby, traveling, going to concerts or art galleries or whatever it is that you're into. And if you got sober during the pandemic, going back out there to the world in which you used to show up with a drink in hand, going back out there will require an adjustment. I kept on thinking and I thought about rehab and how about when you go to rehab, as much as it sucks, because trust me, I've been there, as much as it sucks, it's also safe. It's a contained space where factors that could be harming to your recovery are controlled and they're limited. 
Many patients even fear their discharge date for this reason. You know, you're going to be removed from the safe environment, and that is scary. What will I do out there on my own? What if people don't understand? What will I do when I'm exposed to all of my triggers in my day-to-day life? So what do therapists and clinicians do? They send you home with a treatment plan, a series of things you should be doing in order to protect that thing that you've worked so hard to build at rehab, your recovery. And as much as I dreaded those therapy sessions where I had to brainstorm and sit with my treatment team and think about how I was going to keep the ball rolling once I left rehab, deep down, I knew that they were right. I knew that if I just got out there on my own, it would be like feeding myself to the lions. So... If you've been working hard on your sobriety in the last weeks, months, or even in the last year, what are you going to do to integrate your sobriety into your life once COVID restrictions have subsided? What is going to be your treatment plan? You most certainly didn't go to rehab, but you've definitely built new routines that have helped you protect your attempts at this alcohol-free life. So what can you do to guarantee that who you are choosing to become stays steady as we transition into things like going back into an office or maybe spending Christmas with your in-laws. How are you going to do it? Like I said, I know we don't know when things will normalize and we don't even know what normal means at this point, but it's not a bad idea to start thinking about what boundaries and guidelines you want to set up for yourself in order to protect your sobriety. I don't want to get all businessy on you, but one of my favorite business acronyms is the five P's. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Guys, I think I'm becoming my dad. This sounds like a very Carlos. My dad's name is Carlos. This sounds like a very Carlos thing to say, but I, I, I hear a lot of truth in it. So just something to think about. What are you going to do to protect these new habits that you've built during COVID. All right. Eso es todo, my friends. And before we hear from Cassie, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe Ari almost immediately after I found it and was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things that I realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that truly understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across some bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of our monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use a promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you all there. 
Cassie, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Odette. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's get right to it, Cassie. When was the last time you had a drink? Uh, my last drink was on August 29th of 2019. How are you feeling? You know, feeling pretty good. I just uh, this last month hit 18 months sober, so a year and a half. And things are going really well. Um, and I'm kind of switching things up in my program right now. So it's it's kind of it's good to be here to share my story. And I'm excited. I'm super excited to have you here. And timing, I think, is always rigged in our favor, even though in the moment it doesn't feel like it. I want to let listeners know that we had to re-record this interview. We had some audio issues with our file. And luckily, Cassie was kind enough to say that it's just more practice for her sharing her story. And I agree. And what I wanted to say here, Cassie, and I know that you're okay to talk about this, is we actually had someone reach out to us in the last 48 hours on our Instagram, someone who's 19 years old. And I'm a almost 34. And he was saying, how can someone who's as young as me feel involved and immersed in this community? He was almost trying to tell us that he couldn't find his place. And I just wanted to ask you, since I know you're young and Cassie, you guys, Cassie leads our young people webinar on Cafe Ari. What do you have to say to someone that's this young before we get into your story? That's awesome that they're reaching out about it and, you know, even asking because it took me a little bit longer. You know, I'm I'm 29 years old and I had no clue where I was going to fit in 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 this recovery journey and in Cafe RE. And all I have to say is just, you know, keep an open mind and really just see what happens, you know, start reaching out to people, making friends. And before you know it, you're going to have a bunch of lifelong friendships with amazing people. And you're going to find your way. You just have to have an open mind and just see what happens and just let go. Thanks, Cassie. I know I threw I threw a curveball there at you, but I just you know, I was like, you will find your people and you just have to trust. And and I told him that we get very excited every time we get young people, not only here on the show, but in our group, because pretty much every single time the advice that people that are older have for young people, not the advice, but the words are, you are so lucky. I wish I wouldn't have spent another 10 years of my life struggling, another 15 years of my life struggling. So I hope you know you're out there listening. Uh, keep your name anonymous, but we are rooting for you. And there's a lot of fun over on this side, even though at the beginning, you almost don't even know where to start. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. And, you know, just have faith uh, in the things that are unknown, because it, it's all going to work out just the way it's supposed to. So thanks, Cassie. And let's get to your story. And let's get to you. Can you give listeners a little background on where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And yeah, how do you spend your time now that you're sober? What do you do for fun? Like I said, I'm 29 years old. I am currently in Denver, Colorado. I work in a urology clinic as a medical receptionist. I'm currently pursuing a bachelor's degree in nursing. I 
kind of, I'm still working on prereqs right now. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that if I don't get into the program in the next year that I'm going to switch it up and do behavioral health and say to hell with it all. Oh, we'll <laughs> see what happens with that. I'm not married. I, I don't have kids, but hopefully someday I do live with my boyfriend and our two dogs. Uh, we just bought a house, so we're getting ready to move in the next two weeks. And for fun, I am usually always doing something outside. I love to snowboard in the winter. I love to paddleboard and hike in the summer. I just got into rock climbing and I'm hopefully someday soon going to own a dirt bike and start doing that. So I'm just all about all the activities. I love it. And it's been so awesome to see your journey and to see you and your boyfriend transitioning to owning a home and living your best lives in a way, has been so great. And I can see how that's so deeply linked to this journey of sobriety. So I just love that you are building this life for yourself. I can hear your energy. I can hear it in your voice, your excitement. And I'm just, I'm really happy to have you here. And I'm really proud of you. Thank you. That, yeah, it's it's been an awesome, awesome, like just this last year has been amazing, even though it's been a crazy year and there have been some terrible things to you know, happen with COVID and, and other things in the world, but we have made the best of it. And I can't thank God enough for where I am today. So let us know, Cassie, about your story, because I do know that you had some struggles and that with everything, there is a history and how you got here. So let us know what happened with alcohol. If you want to give us a little bit of your story, let us know when did you seem to start thinking that you had a problem with alcohol? When did you start making changes? And when did you decide to give quitting a go? Tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had my first drink when I was about 13 years old. So this was about 2004. Um, one of the first drinking memories that I had was um, my neighbor and I would go to her parents' liquor cabinet and we would steal uh, peppermint schnapps or whatever was in there um, and we would get drunk after school. And one of those times, it was like the very first time I had drank, I basically gave myself alcohol poisoning. And later that evening, my mom came home from work and found me throwing up in the bathroom and she helped me get cleaned up and put me to bed. And then the next day she made me go to middle school okay, middle school, the next day with a hangover. And when I got home from school, I got to clean up the bathroom and all of my puke clothes. And it was it was just horrible. By freshman year, uh, this is about 2006, by freshman year of high school, I was getting suspended from school for drinking on the bus in the morning. Um, we would take turns uh, stealing our parents' alcohol and making drinks on the school bus on the way. And I got suspended for it. And then before I was even 18, I got in legal trouble. I had multiple uh, minor in minor in possession tickets. I was beginning to sort of make my make a name for myself as the party girl. I was always all in when it came to alcohol. I do not ever remember a time in my life where I was able to drink one or two beers and be done. I was known for being able to drink a lot and still be able to handle myself. And during that time, a lot of it was because I felt like I needed to fit in. I really didn't, you know, fit in with the popular crowd. I didn't really fit in with, you know, the nerds or anything. I, I hung out with 
the skaters and we would ditch school and we would uh, smoke weed and we would throw parties at our parents' houses when they were on vacation. And, and so that was kind of like, I really wanted to fit in with that crowd and it felt like I belonged. And that's kind of where alcohol became a big factor for me. After I graduated high school, I spent a lot of time in the music scene. I was going to raves or music festivals every chance I could get. I was constantly traveling the United States, uh, trying to catch different artists at different shows to, I would say, quote unquote, watch them play. But I'd never really fully remember the experience or most of the concerts because I was constantly wasted. Did you think that that's how it was? Like at that point, were you considering the possibility that maybe you were drinking too much? Or did you just think that, you know, this is how it is? And I'm just curious if any self-awareness around the behavior was existing at this point in your life, or because you were surrounded by all of these people doing probably the exact same thing, you were kind of just in it with everyone else. I think there was no self-awareness at that time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that I was a troublemaker and that I probably gave my parents a lot of gray hairs. Like I knew that part, but (laughs) I didn't recognize that I actually had an issue with alcohol because a lot of the people that I was hanging out with was drinking the same amount as me. We were, you know, we were doing the same things and it just seemed like that's what you were supposed to do you know, during those formative years. I And during that time, I wasn't really in college. Like I, I went to college, but didn't actually go to class or do anything with it. I just kind of went up there to party. And so I ended up dropping out of college at that time because, you know, doing this stuff was more important to me. So I didn't really have, I mean, I still had those formative years of being a teenager in my early 20s of, you know, the college party scene, but I wasn't really doing the college thing. So I think it's just at that point, there was no real awareness. I was just kind of doing what I thought everyone else was doing. How long would you say that concert festival rave chapter lasted for? Oh, a while. I mean, I I still to this day love music and I still go to concerts, you know, I mean, obviously pre-COVID, but um, now I just do them sober. So it's a little different, but I would say at least 10 years uh, for sure that I had a good party concert run. Um, But now I I mean, I don't go to them as much because I'm getting older and, you know, I have to be responsible. But (laughs) but yeah, so I would say for a while, it definitely was a big part of my life. Did you have to transition into like adulting and getting a job at some point or or what 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 happened afterwards to where I could imagine if you could have kept going I mean, that's a pretty good life like you. I love music and I love concerts. I miss concerts right now. But what made you kind of slow down and pivot into maybe finding a job or what happened next? So I was always working during that time, just different, various different jobs. I mean, during that time, I lived up in Steamboat for a while. And so I was doing housekeeping or whatever job I could get. Um, You would change jobs a lot because of the seasons, Um, because when you live in a mountain town, you go from winter season jobs to mud season jobs. Mm -hmm. So I was always doing some sort of work. And then I started working in the medical field in 2015. And I really kind of relaxed a little bit as far as the 
party scene went, but I still was drinking quite a bit and I did have to kind of grow up a little bit, but it did take me quite some time to do so before I, I mean, I was, I wasn't ready. I I had a couple good years where I was like, I'm doing whatever I want. And that's just what it is. Did anything happen in your life to where you, like you said, you had to grow up a little bit or was it just, yeah, what happened? Yeah, I, I, I did. When I started working in the medical field, that was a big change for me because I actually had to show up to a job that meant a lot. I had to be ready to take care of patients on a daily basis and Mm -hmm. make sure that I was a hundred percent each and every day. Um, You know, there, there was days obviously that I was hung over when I was going to work and stuff, but that job really did kind of shift the way I acted and what I was doing because by that time I was um, about, let's see, that was 2015. So I was about 24, 25. And I really wanted to, you know, start taking care of myself. I was living on my own. I was living with some friends. And so I really had to make sure that I was on top of, you know, life's responsibilities. And so that was kind of what changed things for me was the job that I had and where I was living. Cause this was the first time that I really had kind of lived on my own without my parents or without a significant other. So I was really responsible for, you know, the roof over my head and stuff at that time. So yeah, being being a grown up and having more of, of some sort of structure comes with responsibilities for sure. And at that point, how would you define the relationship that you had with alcohol? Because I'm assuming, you know, when you're at festivals, at concerts, there's almost like no rules. It doesn't matter if you're drinking in the morning, it's never really perceived as the wrong time to drink. So how did your relationship with alcohol evolve when you transitioned into this chapter of your life? Yeah. So during the music festival concert type life, I mean, it was binge drinking for the most part. I mean, you would drink, you know, on a regular day, but when we were at festivals, there are no, there are no rules. So we did a lot of, you know, wake up in the morning, chug the beers, go all day type of thing. And so I transitioned from a really heavy, I think, binge drinker to what I would call more of like a normal, quote unquote, you know, have a couple beers after work, maybe go hard on the weekend. What do they call those weekend warriors? Yeah. So it, it did kind of shift where it was more of instead of the binge drinking college style, go hard for a couple days. It was like we shifted to a more normal I'm just going to have a couple after work to relieve the stress from the day type drinking. But then it kind of went, it kind of got out of hand eventually. I mean, at this point, I would say if you fast forward a little bit to about 2017, I was trying to moderate and I was only drinking on the weekend. So at some point after being in the medical field for a little while, I was like, okay, I really need to kind of, you know, get my stuff together. And and so I was like, I'll go to the gym during the week. I was really big into not necessarily trying to lose weight, but just being healthy. And I was working out four or five days a week and I didn't want to ruin those workouts. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to go and burn all these calories and then drink six Michelob Ultras. Totally. what What was the point? You know, so at that point, I wouldn't really drink during the week and I was only drinking on the weekends. And that lasted for a little while. But as we all know, you know, moderation doesn't necessarily always work. So 
So it started, did you, I, I assume you just started kind of going back to maybe weekday drinking as well? So, yeah, at this point, there was a, a big, like a pretty pivotal moment in my life. So I was living with my friends at the time. And one of the friends that I was living with, who was one of my best friends, he passed away in a freak kayak accident, kayaking accident. And his death, I'm pretty sure we it was alcohol related. I, I don't know. And we may never know, um, you know, how it actually happened. But um, he went out kayaking on a family vacation and ended up something happened in the water. It was late. It was later at night and it was dark and he didn't take a life vest and and he they could hear him, you know, and, and then they couldn't find him for three days. Oh, and gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it was that was a big turning point because the house I was living in, you know, this was my friends, really good friends, too. And, and they were all falling apart and they were drinking heavily. And I kind of stayed as like, I guess, like a pillar of strength in that time for them. And so I still wasn't really drinking as much. Um, you know, I would still moderate here and there, but there were weekends or days where I would binge because we were grieving. And But at, at the same time, I started noticing habits of the people I was living with that I really didn't, it didn't resonate with me. I was like, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to wake up at 6.30 in the morning taking shots. Like, I don't want to do that every day. And so I ended up moving out of that house and I moved back in with my parents at the time. And my parents, you know, they, they, they drink quite a bit. And so I, that was when I kind of transitioned back to the, I can drink every day, like a normal working adult and have a couple of beers to relax after my work day. And it didn't last very long. I mean, by the, so I was like 2017 and by the end of 2018, things really started to fall apart. And that was kind of when I completely lost myself. I mean, I was immersed in a relationship that uh, with a boy that didn't really exist. I had kind of thrown my self-worth out the window and I didn't really know who I was anymore. I thought that, you know, going to brunch to start drinking again the next day was a normal thing. I thought that, you know, pre-gaming drinks before your friend's baby shower was a normal thing. And at some point there was like a shift and I couldn't even tell you really when this shift was, but I was all of a sudden at a point of no return and I'm sneaking beers from the kitchen into my bedroom to save for later when I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel like I need to drink again. And that's kind of, you know, end of 2018, early 2019 when all this was going down and all of a sudden I've, I'm in full blown addiction and I didn't even know what was going on. Yeah, you know, my dad, who's going to be 12 years here soon. Wow, that's been a long time. He he always says when he shares his story that he is not able to pinpoint, even after all this time, he's not able to point out when that shift happened. Like you said, when it went almost from, if you had to say it very simply, when it went from being a habit to being an addiction, you know, that there's a line that is crossed. and And I do think it's something gradual because he's like, I don't know when it happened. All of a sudden, I would just stop at the 7-Eleven after I dropped you guys at school and bought some booze. And it sounds similar to where you're like, how did I end up here, you know, sneaking beers into my bedroom? And I do want to point out, it's kind of interesting how things coexist because you don't know how 
you got there. That's that's a lot of the times what happens, like, how did I end up here? But at the same time, you still had something inside of you telling you this isn't the way. And it, I think it started with you moving out of that apartment that you were sharing with your friends, because oftentimes we talk about how hard it is to change and maybe even lose some relationships that are important to us simply because we realize you know, you have to protect your energy. And I felt like you had to be an advocate for yourself in moving out of that apartment. You already knew you wanted something different. Maybe you just didn't know what it looked like, but you were already advocating for yourself, even though the drinking was still progressing. Like those two things were together, even though they kind of contradict each other. Yeah, no. And I would totally agree with that. I definitely knew that I needed to do something different with my living situation, but I I didn't really know what my relationship with alcohol was until after I had left. And I think there was a multitude of things going on at that time. You know, I finally started to let myself grieve the death of my friend while also grieving, you know, the loss of these other friends because that it didn't end well. And, you know, and there was a lot of these things that finally I was like, I don't have to be strong for anyone anymore. I can finally let this in and be able to talk about it and, you know, let myself cry or, you know, just really let myself deal with it. And even still to this day, I have a lot of things that I'm still working through because I just, I'm one of those people who likes to avoid. And that's how I used alcohol a lot was to avoid, you know, my feelings or whatever else was going on in my life. And that's, that's, it's, it's tough being one of those people to just really block things out of your memory. And so, that's kind of where I was at that time is like letting it all in finally. Yeah, it all it all ends up catching up to us one way or another. And at that moment, you said you were things got bad pretty quickly. So once you were doing behaviors like what you shared about sneaking the beers and having to drink in the middle of the night, how much further did this last before you ended up quitting? How did this progress into that final day where you said, I- I'm done? Yeah. So in the beginning of 2019, I was not working. And, you know, this was at the point where I really wasn't, I was really pretty far into my addiction. I not only was I, you know, sneaking the beers into my bedroom, I was, if I didn't have the beer or whatever, I was taking tequila shots in the middle of the night or in the morning. And so I kind of hit a point of, I was no longer taking care of myself. So I was having a really hard time eating regularly, taking showers, going to work. You know, like I I did have a job for like a week and then I would lose it. Nothing. I just had no will to live anymore. I didn't Mm. really care if I woke up the next day. And there was um, one day my dad, you know, I was on like a four day bender and I had been in my room drinking and passing out and drinking and passing out and so on and so forth. And my dad came in one afternoon about two or three in the afternoon and he sat on the edge of my bed and he asked me, you know, what do we need to do? And I will never forget that day. It was probably, I would say it was like the fourth day, you know, he had come home to me, passed out in my room and I just told him, I was like, I'm so scared of the withdrawals. You know, I I knew that that was something you could die from Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what else to do. So at that point I went through medical detox and 
I, I told him that I, I was like, I think this is the only way out. And so he took me to the ER and I spent some time in the ER and then I went to detox and that was March. I think it was like March 5th of 2019. And so I, I, I went through that. I was in there for about a day and then I was released and I came back home and I literally stayed at home for maybe three days and I packed up all my stuff. I got rid of almost everything I own. I packed everything else in my car and I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which is where my mom is. And I, you know, I was trying the whole geographical cure and I, and I did stay sober for a little bit and I had some stops and starts while I was out there. It wasn't a straight path. And that was kind of the start of this journey is I went out there for a couple months and then my mom was like, I'm going to move to Texas. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And, <laughs> and I moved back to Colorado. And when I moved back to Colorado, I thought, you know what? I got this. I've moderated in the past. I can do it again. And this was probably May of 2019. So I was only out there for about two months. And after that, I was back in the same drinking habits, even worse and even faster. By the time August had rolled around, I was in the same exact place that I was previously at the point of no return, looking at myself going, what do I need to do? I went through the same exact bender where I called into work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And on Thursday, I finally told my stepmom, um, I was like, hey, I think we need to do this again. Can you please take me to detox? And so she did. And so I went through it again for the second time. And that was August 29th of 2019. And I haven't gone back since. Cassie, I really appreciate you sharing that there were some start and stops because this is the case for so many people. And it's something that every time we talk about, I say we don't talk about often times because it is not easy and our brain is very powerful in convincing us that we can go back to drinking normally, that everything's going to be different this time. And, you know, for me, every time I had to hit stop and start and start and stop, I learned a lot about myself and it was, it sucked that I was gaining more insights and I was starting to catch on these patterns that we sometimes fall into, these loops of repeated behaviors. I can, I can only imagine how going through the same bender process and then asking to go to detox, it probably almost felt like a deja vu, but I feel like that's just the way that life works. You know, it'll be the same cycle until we, we get unstuck and we can get unstuck. We just have to keep trying. So I'm really grateful that it was your dad the first time and then your stepmom, which you were able to trust enough to ask for help because, I mean, that's a big deal. You almost did a little reverse intervention on yourself there. And I'm so glad that it's stuck this far this time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, and I think uh, the second time it was kind of one of those things where I was like, all right, either they're going to come get me and take me or I'm going to own up to this and do it myself. And I think at that point, I was just like, if I don't do something, something's I'm going to end up dying. You know, I, I, it was just not alcohol was going to kill me if I didn't do something different. And I knew at some point my parents were going to sit me down and, you know, have a talk with me again. And I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna avoid that. And I'm just gonna do it. And it was the best decision I ever made for myself. 
I would not take it back. I, you know, I've been through a lot of stuff, uh, but I, you know, it all brought me to where I am today. And it's, it's really great to see, you know, to talk about it and, you know, remember where I was because I am constantly reminding myself what it looked like now that I'm, you know, quite a bit time sober. So yeah, it's just, it's a, life's a trip. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me about as soon as you left detox, what was your plan in order to keep the momentum going? What did you do when you got out and how did you start stacking days? What was helpful? Yeah. So the second time around, I I did do a little bit of a geographical cure again, but not as drastic. I did move out of my parents' house and I I lived with my step-parents. I have a very blended family. So I moved in with my sister's dad in Arvada, Colorado, which is not that far away from where I was living previously, but they didn't drink hardly at all. And so that was kind of the environment that I needed. So I made sure that I had a sober environment to live in. And, you know, I didn't want to ask my parents to change any of their drinking habits or anything like that. So that's kind of why I uh, did what I did. And then after I had moved in with them, about a week or so after, yeah, it was probably like a week or two, um, my my stepmom, um, she, you know, she was like, hey, my friend from elementary school, he just wrote this book. He's got a podcast, you know, maybe you'd be re- interested in checking him out. And she was like, they even have a Facebook group, I think, you know, if you want uh, to try it, I'll pay for your first month. And that what she was talking about was Paul Churchill. Wow. Um, And I didn't know anything about the podcast, nothing. I had no idea. I still I, I listened to it occasionally. But at that time, I had no idea what she was talking about. But I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to try it. Let's do it. So she signed me up for Cafe RE. And that was the big like big thing that helped me gain momentum um, because I was a part of this Facebook group that I had access to 24 seven and it really helped keeping me accountable. And I was able to go on my first in-person meetup, like right after I hit a month sober. um, And I started forming these sober relationships online and um, in real life through Cafe RE. And that was really, really big for me. And then you know, that helped me out a lot. in the first little bit, I was also seeing a therapist through the first like six months. And then after that, I started getting more involved in Cafe RE. And I think it was right, right before I hit a year that I really started to host some of the webinar chats that we do and um, really start giving back to the community. Because at that point, I was like, I am about to hit a year. I need to hold myself accountable and really make sure that I, you know, am plugging into this because you get out what you put in. And if you're not, you know, if you're not doing something in sobriety every day, you're, it's really easy to let those thoughts creep back in and fall off the wagon. And I really didn't want that to happen. And I was like, I'm going to make it to a year. That's what I'm going to do. And I did it. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep going because who knows what will happen. So that's, that's kind of how I ended up doing things you know, when I first got sober, but things have definitely changed now. I'm doing a lot of different things now that I'm over a year sober. So yeah, and I feel like, you know, the first year is everyone has their own experience. But the first year, in my opinion, is hard because it's, it's going around the calendar for the first time in this new decision in this new state. And and that's hard. 
that I feel like a lot of what I've been able to witness on your journey is the last, you know, the, the, from the 12 months to the 18 months, it's almost been this like ramp up of like, wow, like things are still hard. And I feel like our problems don't go anywhere. But you also are able to kind of zoom out and see everything that has been made possible because of this decision. And I think that's really cool and and really helps validate people to stay the course. Because like you said, I, even myself, who people think I'm like, do not put anybody on a pedestal, you know, even myself, who <laughs> I have to I, I do this show, I have these interviews scheduled. I still sometimes have thoughts of like, well, maybe I could still drink. And I noticed it happened during a season where I wasn't interviewing a lot of people because I had a lot of interviews already in the queue. And I realized mm -hmm. how much like you said, if I wasn't actively doing something that reminded me of why I need to keep doing something, whatever that is, it is so stinking easy to for the brain to just like finds finds the gap and wants to go for that gap. Like, here's my entry point. I'm just going to use it to my advantage. So you really have to protect your own energy and take care of yourself. And, and I'm glad that you're sharing that now you're doing different things because it definitely changes. You don't have to be, you know, you can graduate from that full immersion recovery school that feels like takes every inch of your brain space at first. It definitely changes, but you still have to keep it at the forefront of your mind, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, when I, the first six months, at least it was like every day making the conscious decision of I'm not going to drink today. And it really did, you know, I mean, the first 30 days, that's all you can think about. Right. And mm -hmm. that does shift and it shifted for me. I want to say it about six to eight months and then nine to 12 months. I was really focused on, you know, plugging more into the community and doing more things um, just to hold me extra accountable. And then after the year, things really started to change because I had already done what we call FFTs first fucking times. Mm -hmm. I'd already done those. So I, I had already, you know, gone to my first wedding. I had already gone to concerts, all these things. And the second year around, it's been really about for me digging into all my past stuff, my traumas, my you know, doing the actual work on myself instead of just, okay, I'm staying sober. Now I'm really delving into why did I get to where I am and really trying to sort out a lot of that stuff. Because, um, if I don't, I, I, you know, I'm afraid that something is going to change and I'm going to lose all the time I've been on this journey. I mean, not that we lose our time, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I just really want to make sure that I'm dealing with the stuff that got me here because if I don't, it's going to come back to haunt me at some point. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next month, but it, it will eventually. And so now, now just in the last couple months, I've, I've actually started to get into AA. Um, I've done a couple in-person AA meetings here in Denver and I'm currently in the process of trying to find a sponsor and I, I'm really trying to work I want to work through the steps and I am reading recovery by Russell Brand, which kind of just explains it's a really good beginner. Just here's an explanation of the steps in plain terms. <laughs> so that's, I'm kind of just delving into that world and really figuring out what that's about. And I, I'm learning that I actually really do enjoy that side of things and the structure that it gives and, 
and just there's some amazing, amazing, amazing things said in AA and it just really resonates with me. So I'm, I'm working on that right now. I um, have big, big plans for the future. My boyfriend and I are really hoping that we can spread the word about, you know, getting rid of the stigma around addiction. We really want to let people know that sobriety can be fun and it can be way better than what, you know, a lot of the people our age are doing. And we've got plans, Odette. We're going to, we're going to take the world. That's what we're going to do. If there are two people that can take the world, it's you two, because I know you and I know your guys' spirit. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be a witness because it's true. You know, we had that episode a few weeks ago where we asked people the unexpected perks of this journey. And and the one that had me giggling, but it's so true, is uh, I found out that sober people are fun and cool and life yeah. is still life is still really fun. I'm like, yes, we are still fun, <laughs> you know, but but we do need more of that. And and back to what I asked you right at the beginning is there are a lot of young people and that that I think gives me a lot of hope. But then there also needs to be access to help and access to options or else it's like people are just stuck and suffer in silence and aren't really getting out there and getting the help. So I mean, the more we can do to shred the shame, the better. So I I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm currently in school. So I'm I'm writing a paper right now about why people should quit drinking and really trying to persuade my audience about that. And (laughs) so it's, it's been a fun, that's been a fun journey too. just learning how to (laughs) write it all out my thoughts about people drinking now because it's totally different than what I used to think but yeah it's 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 super exciting I I really I don't know what the future exactly looks like you may see a drink come out that Taylor and I make I don't know we'll see what happens but we're just really excited for the future and we you know one of my main goals is to you know, I, I want to build a family and I want to rewrite my family's history and I want to help change that for a lot of other people. Well, you're already doing that, Cassie. You're already doing that by starting with yourself and you're with the perfect partner to do that. You guys are changing the trajectory of your families. And I know I know a little bit more of your story from being in Cafe RE as a member myself as well. And I I've been able to see that impact firsthand. So keep going. And I did want to ask now that you are 18 months in, do you still get cravings or are those not really present anymore? Uh, yeah, I do. And and I think it depends on the season, honestly. I mean, last time we talked, I was like, no, I'm not really getting them at all. And fast forward to now and just a couple months later, and I'm getting them once a week. But I think it's just there's a lot more stress in my life right now, mm-hmm. just because we're getting ready to move. And it's it's been a process. Um, so I do definitely get cravings still. You know, for me, it's just a little bit different now. I don't necessarily. Ha- it's just like a fleeting thought. It's like, oh, you know, like, I could go drink and just take my mind off things for a little while. But then I'm like, I'd have to come home and answer to all the sober people I live with. Um, I don't think that's going to go down very well. (laughs) Um, You know, I I have the best accountability. I have really great uh, relationships within RE that, 
if I disappeared for a couple of days, people would raise, it would raise red flags. People would be checking on me in no time. So I, I do still get cravings. I do still have to work through them. They're just not necessarily as big and daunting as they used to be. Yeah. And, and now you know that, you know, getting a craving doesn't mean that you have to act on it. I feel like when we just start on this journey, it's so scary to get one because you think that you know the outcome is drinking, but you learn with time that there are many outcomes to craving. You know, you can deal with it in in many ways. And I really appreciate you saying that, you know, maybe we did have to re-record for a reason, that that your answer changed on this question because it it's happened to me too where it ebbs and flows depending on what's going on in my life. So it's really neat to see that you connect you know, the the stress level is directly related to your cravings in, in your life. And in my life, it's, it is very similar. And the point I'm trying to get to here is that sometimes things like this happen. And I want to encourage people to not think of they're regressing, like I shouldn't get cravings. I'm already this much time in. Why am I getting a craving? Am I doing this wrong? Am I going to relapse? You know, all these thoughts start creeping in. And I just think, it's not a straight shot, even when you've been in it for a long time. You know, there may be times where you are triggered. There may be times where you get more cravings. And, you know, I just want to encourage anyone who kind of uses that as a metric of how well they're doing to just accept the ebbs and flows because it definitely changes. And that doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I would 100% agree with that. I mean, I know that this time in my life, there's just a lot of change happening. And so I can, the the difference between early sobriety and now is I have the awareness to see that, okay, these cravings are starting to happen, or maybe it's a drinking dream or whatever it is. But you know, my addiction is starting to speak to me. And it's because of all these other external factors going on. Oh, and guess what? I haven't meditated or journaled or done anything for myself this week. So I can correlate now what's happening and see it as it's happening and be like, okay, we need to fix this. I need to start doing more. I need to start doing X, Y, Z. And it's just really, now it's just a matter of knowing what tools work for what situation and being able to realize what's going to happen before it actually really happens. The self-awareness you said, I didn't have any, now you have a ton of it and it's come with the experience and it's so cool that you can leverage it in your favor. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that, Cassie. And I feel like we could talk for hours, but we have reached the rapid fire round. So I have some questions for you. If you can answer in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'm ready. Perfect. What would you like to say to your younger self? I would definitely just let her know that she is worth it. And, you know, I I had a lot of self-esteem issues when I was growing up. And I, yeah, I would just say, just have faith. You are worth it. Everything is going to work out just the way it's supposed to. What's your favorite ice cream flavor, Cassie? Right now it's Snickers ice cream bars. So not even like (laughs) a flavor, but yeah, that's what I've, that's been the the hot selection as of lately. What's a light bulb moment you've had during this journey? I would say the more you connect, the less you think about alcohol. I love that. What's an unexpected perk of this journey? Uh, An unexpected perk. Hmm. I would say being able to go do 
whatever I want at whatever time of day without question, without fail. I can literally do anything I want to at any moment in time because I don't have to worry about drinking. Yeah, you got your freedom back. This one's a personalized Cassie question. Are sober concerts better? Um, yes, 110% sober concerts are so much better. The moment the concerts start happening again, I highly suggest anyone go to a concert sober. It's one of the best experiences. I can't wait. I've been missing them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna be right there as soon as I can. And I know you are too. So that's exciting. Yeah. Before we depart, Cassie, can you give listeners your own? You may have to say adios to booze if line. Yeah, you may have to say adios to booze if you specifically wear a hoodie in order to sneak alcohol anywhere, including your own room. Now you have the recovery elevator hoodie, but you can just sneak in your Snickers bar in the little yeah. pocket at the front. <laughs> Perfect. And my bubblies. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Cassie. I appreciate you. I can't wait for everybody to hear this. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Odette. I hope you have a good day. You too. Take care. Very well, Timari. And that's a wrap for our interview. And before I say adios this week, I want to give you a little challenge. Make some time this week and create your post-COVID plan. I know, I know. It sounds super silly, but trust me. You want to at least plant a seed within yourself. What steps of action can you take in order to support your sobriety once things start getting back online? Are you planning on finding a local AA meeting and attending once a week, twice a week? Or maybe committing to listening to a recovery podcast on your way to work and having a person in the office that knows that you're sober that can help support and keep you accountable? What works for you? Think about it. Write it down. Maybe share it with a friend. I mean, share it with me if you want. I always have your back, but you have to have your own back first. So make a plan. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, being sober is our superpower. We can do this. I love you guys. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself.
misperception of who you are, an illusory sense of identity. This is the ego.